0: Everybody knows you can't criticize college football head coaches because if you criticize the head coach, you'll lose your access. And if you lose your access, that means you can't do a college football show. And if you can't do a college football show, what's the meaning to life? Well, we will discuss how false that is on the Late Kick Extra podcast, which starts right now. I am Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra Podcast. It's wall-to-wall mailbag. We do it once a week in addition to the multiple episodes of Late Kick Live that we do every week. It's college football. It's nothing else. I appreciate you being here because without you, this is nothing. Notice I said without you. Not without access. Without you. We used to do this show all the time before we had any access. And I know it sounds like I'm pulling that out of thin air, but I'm not. It's part of the mailbag this morning. Now, before we do the mailbag, I freely admit I'm on the road. I'm actually in Fortson, Georgia. I'm in my childhood bedroom as we speak. and we do not have we do not have state of the art audio equipment here. shamefully. I have not invested in such things for my little home studio down here. And so uh, if the audio quality sounds a little bit less than, it's because it is a little bit less than you deserve better. I freely admit it. But it is what it is. We're going to have to make it through. The diehards will stick with us. And if you're if you're on the periphery, if you're just thinking about joining the old Pate State family here, but the audio's not good enough for you, I'll see you Thursday night. Because it'll be back to normal by then. I've also got some requests a little bit later. One in particular that if you're into graphic design, I think you want to stick around for. But I'm not leading the pod with that. I'm leading the pod with this. We're going to Waco, Texas. Kevin is first up. And Kevin asked this question. He said, do you shy away from criticizing coaches because it would risk losing your access and thus hurting the show? Kevin, 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 welcome to the show. I can tell a few things about you, believe it or not. I can tell you're kind of new around here. If you weren't new around here, you would have heard me criticize coaches before, mainly in the latter portion of a season, not leading up to it. that That's its own different thing, though, Kevin. But, Kevin, I also notice I'm repeating your name because that's what psychologists say I should do. Kevin, 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 Kevin. I also know another thing because this question came in the comment section of the Georgia video. The Kirby Smart, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Georgia's program is defending and coming to the aid of those who are guilty of perpetrating sexual assault you remember that whole thing we did last week well i think that kevin you're talking about that and you're talking about how i wasn't critical of kirby smart well that's not true first off so let me address it back to front it's not true that i wasn't critical of smart and it's not true that i'm never critical of head coaches it is true that i pick my spots and it is true that i'm not nearly as publicly critical as maybe your average person in the college football media, but there's a very, very intentional reason for that. So with Smart, I talked at length, Kevin, both in that show and in previous shows, about how they do have problems at Georgia. It's just not necessarily the problems the AJC was talking about. And I should have specified in that show, so I'll specify uh, the second time today. AJC, for those of you outside the South, means Atlanta Journal Constitution. It's the big paper, has been for a long time in Atlanta. And so they, you know, they've know, they done multiple pieces on Georgia and how they've got a culture problem. You're up to speed on that, I think, if you're a college football fan. I was critical of Smart. I've been critical of the fact that, you know, the whole street racing problem there, well, it's not just a problem at Georgia, but it's been a very public problem at Georgia. There's been a loss of life because of the problem they have there at Georgia. I've been critical of that. And I'll tell you why, Kevin, because it's very apparent. It's very apparent that's a problem. I had a really big problem myself, though, with the way the AJC went about presenting the issue of accusations being made against Georgia players and the University of Georgia covering up for them and rallying around them. That's what they said. They rally around players accused of sexual assault. Well, they wanted to throw this big number at you, 11 players at least. But I, anytime someone tries to throw an entire ball of rubber bands at me, I want him to dissect it rubber band by rubber band. That means nothing to me in the abstract. I want you to give me specifics. Well, in that AJC piece, when they started to give specifics, I zeroed in on one of them, and that was Jamal Jarrett, a player who was being recruited at the time and had since committed to Georgia. And we looked at the details in the accusation and realized the accusation had evaporated because what was being accused did not happen. And the AJC and a lot of folks who claim to have read that article, I think, got exactly what they wanted out of that. And that was you to listen to those details and say, okay, well, even if that one's crumbling, hey, there are 10 more, there are 10 more. Well, my thinking shifts right back to, okay, let's break down the other 10. But people didn't want to do it. You know, a lot of people wanted to say, what are you really about to explain away 10 accusations of sexual assault? I'm not going to explain away anything the details don't explain away. That's my whole point. I guess I'm one of those weirdos out here that takes sexual assault ultra seriously, but also takes an accusation of it ultra seriously if it's falsified. So I just love to get down to the bottom of it no matter what, Kevin. I really, when I say I couldn't care less, I don't mean I don't care about the matter at hand. I mean, I couldn't care less which way the details take us. I just want the details to take us firmly into one corner or the other instead of living in this world where, hey, we're a newspaper that's been around for a long time, so we're going to tell you something happened. We're going to be really, really shaky on the details, but you're just going to have to take our word for it. Uh, Nah, no, in 1968, I may have thought that way. Not in 2023. So that's where we left off the other day. And I was not critical of Kirby Smart for the way he's handled that. I actually zeroed in on the way the story was written. And I some people thought went to bat for Georgia, for Kirby Smart. You know, like they are the ones who signed my paycheck instead of CBS. And I got a lot of that. Kevin, you know, you're just kind of representing what a lot of people said. So I decided to lead with that this morning. Let's go back to Kevin's question. He said, do you shy away from criticizing coaches because it would risk losing your access? No, I don't, Kevin. The reason you don't hear me as critical of coaches publicly as maybe some others is because I know how many moving parts are in play. And I guess I've always also had this thing in football and outside of football where it always makes me cringe a little bit. Watching people who don't know anything about something criticize the person who's doing that something. And I said outside of football, because you dealt with this, Kevin, I guarantee you, you've dealt with this and aren't even thinking about it. Everyone listening who is above like 16 years old has worked a job in your life. You have dealt with people criticizing you or people in your field, and they've never been in your field. This is not something new. It's not something unique to the media and college football. That's just the most high profile example. I'll give you an example, but Kevin and Jeff and Paula and anyone listening right now, I don't care where you are. Just apply this to your own personal life. Apply this to where you work. I used to work in the fabric warehouse down in Columbus, Georgia, and I used to I used to remember so vividly we would get around to these two times of year. They were called market seasons. And that is where we're putting together a bunch of samples of the fabric to send up to High Point, North Carolina. And then all the manufacturers from like Lazy Boy and all the big upholstery companies, they would come in and they would buy whatever they wanted. But it was a very, very hectic time of year for us. One of them would be in July. One of them would be around Christmas in December. And so there's a lot going on. Well, our supervisor, quote unquote, even though he was in the same building with us and probably only sat 30 feet away from the warehouse, he was in the office portion of the building. We were in the warehouse portion of the building. And he would come back there and we'd have, a, you know, a meeting once or twice a week and it was so obvious even he didn't understand a fraction of what actually went into making sure that warehouse operated. You guys listening right now, you deal with this every day. Maybe you're an insurance adjuster, maybe you drive a FedEx route. I don't care what you do, you deal with people all the time who criticize what you do for a living and they don't have the slightest clue what goes into what you do for a living. Okay, but now I want you to take it a step further. Now I want you to imagine someone drives a bread truck route and you work over there in financial securities. And someone from the bread truck gets off his route, parks it out front, comes up to the 13th floor of your office building and starts criticizing you in the world of financial securities. And his ammunition is is something like, well, there was a glitch that led to an error in a report last month, and you're terrible for that. And you look at him, and what would you do if there actually was a glitch? What if he's right? What if technically he's correct in his assessment there was a glitch in your financial reports from the previous month? Just like someone writing a column, just like someone on talk radio or on a podcast could technically be correct when they say a coach made an error and something bad happened in a program. Even then, Are you respecting the opinion of the bread truck guy? No disrespect to bread. I I love a good Sammy as much as the next guy. But if the bread truck guy is walking up to the 13th floor and he's starting to criticize, even if he's right, even if something did go wrong last month, he doesn't have a clue what went into it going wrong. He doesn't know the why that led up to the what. And therefore, even if he is technically correct in looking at something and saying, hey, that thing that went wrong, it's wrong. You don't respect his opinion. Well, I've always been that way, Kevin. Or in a lot of cases, I've been that way about folks who criticize head coaches. This is where the access you're talking about does help me. Because when I can get behind the scenes and I can talk to some of these guys off the record and really understand how how intricate the web of their job is and how many factors go into making a decision and how many people are involved, you couldn't imagine it unless you can see it. But if you do see it, then you get back outside that bubble and you rejoin the folks outside that bubble who have been criticizing people inside the bubble you realize how insane it is uh, in a lot of cases you realize how ridiculous it is and how ignorant in many cases it is because so many people know so little about what's going on inside that bubble and they're running their mouths anyway that doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to kevin that doesn't mean i think they should shut the ajc down it just means when they write things like that I don't take it nearly as seriously on the surface. Now, if you're making serious allegations, I'll take the allegations seriously, doubly especially when it involves something like sexual assault. I'll take that stuff seriously all day long, but you better come with details and you better come with facts. You better not just expect me to take you at your word. And then when you start having all those other reactionary pieces, which I'm sure you, Kevin, and a lot of other people saw, the AJC releases their piece And then 50 other folks write articles off of that piece, citing that piece as their reason to expound on Kirby Smart and the lackluster job he's doing and the lackadaisical culture at Georgia. That I don't respect at all. I don't respect it whatsoever. And I saw a lot of folks who I have respect for write pieces I don't have respect for over the past week and a half off of that. So, Kevin, that's my response to that. As for the access, I don't need access. I love it. I certainly love it, but I don't need it, Kevin. Those who have been around this show for a while know we built this show on no access. I didn't have access then, and we built this to be a very successful product that a lot of folks enjoy, and I appreciate it. You too, Kevin. We don't need access to programs. That's a privilege. It is certainly an added benefit, and it adds another dimension to the way we're able to cover the sport. We don't need that. That is not why I would shy away from criticizing someone. I would shy away from criticizing someone because I don't feel informed enough to criticize them on something yet. Having said that, Kevin, if you do want criticism, come around later in November. There'll be plenty of criticism to go around because that's when I think we've gathered enough information on a football season, especially, to warrant such criticism. I don't do it in August on the field And sometimes I don't do it off the field either for entirely different reasons. But that's my that's my thinking behind that. Hope it makes sense. Uh, Jason is up next in Sanibel Island, Florida. He said, would you rather see two top five teams square off in an epic battle that goes down to the final play? Or would you rather see a massive upset of an unranked team taking down number one in person? Jason, this is a good question. I hardly ever get to see the second part. I see the first part because I'm at those games every week. Uh, the, I guess the curse of being able to go to any game you want to is you rarely pick the game that would feature an unranked team playing number one, and therefore you rarely get to see the big upset. Now, notoriously, and I've said this many times, notoriously, I made the mistake of my life two years ago. After Texas OU played a classic in the Red River Shootout, I was also credentialed to go to A&M versus Alabama down the road that night. I could have gotten there. Instead, I flew home like a straight-up casual and I'm watching on the plane as Texas A&M takes down Alabama. On, I think they were unranked at the time and they were like a three-touchdown underdog and they took down Alabama and then the field gets stormed and I could have been there for that and I wasn't. And so that was the closest to my knowledge that I've come to having been in that environment and I regret it. Again, I regret it. But I do see a lot of the The first kind of games. I do see a lot of the back-and-forth, slugfest-type games. Last year, though, kind of got a blend. So we got Tennessee-Alabama, and Tennessee was ranked, and it wasn't a massive, massive point spread, but still, you saw what happened after that game. Sort of the 15-year drought for Tennessee coming to an end, it simulated the energy you would get from an unranked team taking down number one, even though Tennessee was ranked, and it was a single-digit point spread just the overwhelming flood of emotion that kind of felt like it would feel. I remember when Baylor beat Oklahoma a couple of years ago, we were out in Waco where Kevin was from, who asked the first question today. We were out in Waco and that was good, but there was a weird ending to that one where I don't know if you remember this game, but it's on YouTube. You can look it up. So they get down to the final drive and Baylor thinks they've won the game. And something happened where there were a couple of seconds left on the clock. So it was one of those, anti-climactic field stormings the players are on the field and then the fans start to rush the field and then they're told get off the field so they can't really get you back up in the stands they just tell you all hey get off the field one final play is going to happen and the second field storming is never quite to the degree the initial field storming was so that one kind of got tempered a little bit although it was big noon kickoff so I was happy either way because we were still in the bright sunshine but I think it would be amazing I think certainly if you're watching on TV. Now, if you're watching on TV and you see the field storming, that's great. I think the moment is what lives in your mind. So I think a lot of us get more excited to see number one versus number four, point spread of four and a half. You know, like Clemson, Florida State play this year. That could be highly rated versus highly rated. That could be like Alabama LSU this year. Those kind of games, yeah, you look forward to and you read about them in preview mags. But your memory doesn't go back to that. Your memory goes back to field storming. Your memory goes back to thinking about something that wasn't supposed to happen, that did happen. So I guess there's a, I guess there's a part of me that would love to witness the second, that would love to witness the whole field storming thing. But the first part of me knows, man, when we're on our tour, like this fall, we're going to have our tour that I'm going to name pretty soon, because we've got a name. I think it's really, really good, by the way. When we're on our tour, yeah, we're probably building up to seeing number seven versus number 10. And we're probably not going to see a ton of field stormings. Although, we did see four of them two years ago. So, knock on wood that that continues. We kind of get the best of both worlds. Jesse, but with an IE, Jesse next up from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Jesse said, what's the deal with picking Xavier Worthy to win the Heisman? Jesse, I'm so used to saying that in that tone. Jesse, what, what are you doing? You know I didn't do that. Technically, I didn't. So, what happened was the other night on the show... Someone asked me for a Dark Horse Heisman contender. We should make that a sound effect, Colin. Take note of that. Dark Horse Heisman contender. Well, that means I can't pick number one. Jesse, I would have just gone Caleb Williams like everyone else. He's the favorite. He should be. He just won it like five minutes ago. But it's Dark Horse season, man. And so in Dark Horse World, which means someone outside of the top 10 in the odds, I'm looking at Xavier Worthy or Xavier Worthy. So everyone's right. Just pick it. And I said... I thought I had reasons. I spelled them out on the show. I'm not going to rehash that. I thought I had good reasoning. I think there's some logic behind the pick. I think he was down last year due to injury. So I think I get added value baked in because of that. And he's got an offense where he's surrounded by a good supporting cast, kind of like Devontae Smith was a few years ago. He plays the same position. He's in the same offense because Sark was the OC for Devontae Smith. He's the head coach and OC at Texas. I think he's going to have a quarterback to throw the ball to him. I think they're going to be in the right kind of offense, period. And so that's what I said. And then I said at the end, if you noticed, I think a lot of folks just heard me flat out pick Xavier to win the Heisman. I didn't. He's my dark horse contender. So don't you do that, Jesse. Don't get to December when you should be telling me Merry Christmas and instead say, sucker, you whiffed on that Heisman pick. No, I didn't. Now, we all know if Xavier Worthy wins the Heisman, I will tout that as I called it. Well, I will do that. That's within my right. As an American citizen, that is within my right constitutionally to be able to lie to you on the back end. It's kind of like betting parlays, which I don't do, but I know some of you do, shamefully. Satan is happy every time you bet a parlay. I'm just letting you know because Meemaw would let me know. You guys can bet those parlays all day long and lose, but when you win one, that's what happens. I called it, guys. That's the same as my buddy. We'll call him Byron. I had a buddy named Byron back in high school who would just call a home run every at-bat. And so when he had hit a home run, he would say, I called it. Doesn't matter if that 5-4-3 double play happened and then a strikeout in the second inning. Nope, we get to the fourth inning. He calls a home run, he hits one. I called it. What a world. What a privileged life. That's like a management style of life. You're always right. You're never wrong. Well, I've been wrong before. And you know what? I'm also wrong for doing this. Did you see the ad toss coming? Some of you will always tell me you did. I don't think so. I think I did a pretty good job there. But whoomst is to say these days, in these crazy times we live in. All right, next up is uh, John from Salisbury, Maryland. Don't think we've ever heard from Salisbury before. Which, you know what, John, timeout. Timeout, I'm using my one timeout per pod. There's a great big debate going on in the office. And it has to do with the pronunciation of words. Actually, the way I even pronounce that word is under fire. Pronunciation, pronunciation. Whatevs. So, um, this is going to sound made up, but it's not. Meemaw was very old school in her approach. She was a lifelong Southerner, and she said one of the benefits of winning the Civil War back in the day was Northerners, not to use the phrase she used, Northerners got to control the lexicon of the country. And so she said they just choose which words you get to mispronounce. For example, Meemaw would not be a fan of the way most of you pronounce the word caramel. There are two A's, but you only pronounce one. Caramel is a travesty to the Memaw's of the world. And I actually agree with Meemaw on this. Caramel is the way that should be pronounced. Well, anyway, we get back to Salisbury, Maryland. I would just go hardcore B-E-R-R-Y, Salisbury. But you would pronounce it Salisbury. And my problem is pick a lane. Me and Meemaw would just like to ask you, pick a lane. Okay, if we're going to go Salisbury, that's fine. But don't be giving me caramel. If we're going to pronounce the letters the way they're supposed to be pronounced, let's do it across the board. Okay, Strawberry, while we're at it, we got a problem with that. Strawberry and Salisbury, absolutely not. One's going to be one way, one's going to be the other way. So John from Salisbury, Maryland, thank you so much for submitting a question that had nothing to do with the two-minute rabbit hole I just went down. John is asking, is there a world where expansionists and non-expansionists each get what they want? I don't know what this looks like. I'm openly asking the question. That was John from a town in Maryland. John, I don't think so, but I would love it. I would this is John Lennon. This is imagine. Just imagine all the people living in harmony. Expansionists and non-expansionists sitting crisscross applesauce, flowers in their hair around a campfire or maybe just burning some incense, arms locked and everyone is kumbayaing their way to a better college football world. Ah uh... Well, John, this is not a fairy tale world, my friend, and I don't think that that exists. You know which camp I'm in. I know which camp some of you are in. We're not going to fight this morning. I promised you we're not going to fight. America's birthday is fresh in our minds. We're not going to fight, but I am going to remind you what I love about the sport. I love the regular season, Saturdays in the fall. That's the beginning and the ending for me. Anything you give me in the postseason, okay, just don't make it dilute the regular season. Well, expanding the playoff does that, which has been my fundamental issue with it. Now, John, if you were to walk up to me and you were to be able to give me this world where every Saturday has maximum importance on it, every regular season game has maximum importance, and somehow we still have a 12-team playoff apparatus at the end where every conference champ or at least the six highest rated are in, and we still get six at-larges, and somehow we get that world, but no one has any value stripped from their regular season experience. John, I would love it. I would love it. Of course, that's impossible, but I would love it, and I'd love to be wrong about saying it's impossible. Now, we all know I'm not, or at least we all will know I'm not, but I would love to be wrong about that uh, because I have said before, and I'll say again, so I'm on the record many times, I don't think the playoff itself is going to be bad. The playoff itself, if you were to just hit the start button in December, that product will be pretty incredible, I think. I just don't think it's worth what it costs us in the regular season, but I think that product itself will be incredible. So, John, I'd love to have that world you're talking about. I'm not quite sure we can get it. I thought we could get it if we went to a 16 team playoff. I thought we could do that. No auto-bids, just take the highest-rated teams. Uh, but... It's not what we did, is it? Now, the one remaining question mark before I move on from this, and one of the reasons I hate this mic I'm using is because I know you can hear the pops and the the gulp, the swallows immunity, I think. I know you can hear all that in this mic. I hate it. You hate it. We all hate it. It is what it is. One of the things that's the big question mark remaining in the room that everyone needs to be paying attention to. Actually, you know what? On second thought, don't waste your time on this. Let me worry about it, and you can just deal with it when it comes your way down the road. There's this there's this tiny little matter of the playoff contract wrapping up, and I think it goes through 2025. I think that's the last year on it. So then 2026 would be a new year. Well, there's nothing decided about 2026 right now. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't believe what the waiter told you in Cracker Barrel about that new expanded playoff. Nope, it's only temporary. So that 12-team format, 6-6, six and six, that's only temporary. They haven't decided anything. We don't even know who's going to carry the games, which network's going to own the contract. It may be multiple networks down the road. And it also may be that those conferences or the power players in the conferences come back to the table very soon. And they start saying, maybe we don't like this format we've agreed on. Maybe the SEC and the Big Ten say, eh, on second thought, we don't like six guaranteed bids to the highest ranked conference champs. So I don't know what's going to happen, John. Who knows? Maybe I'm the commissioner by then. We don't know what's going to happen. And that's where we have to leave it this morning. A lot of unknown. Amy in Grand Junction, Colorado, really, really good question here. She said, I obviously am partial to Ralphie's run before Buffs games, but I love college football traditions all over the place. I watch every Saturday specifically looking for that. If you were to launch a new college football tradition and you can pick any school, what would it be and why? Amy, you may think I haven't given thought to this, but I specifically picked this question because I've given serious thought to it. I almost hesitate to give this away because I, I, look, I would steal it if I were Miami, but I'm going to do it anyway. So at Miami, uh, the traditions down there already withstanding, there's a thing that I would do and I want you to think it through with me. So if you're college age, you won't know this song probably. So there's a song by the Miami Sound Machine and Gloria Estefan, Miami grad, and it's called Great Song, Especially the Intro unmistakable, which I'm about to get to. It's an old song. I think it's from the 80s. Like It's old for me, but I love the older music, as has been well-documented on this show. So you listen to the song if you haven't already. If you know the song, think about the intro to it. And then I want you to think about a pregame ritual at Miami. Now, it would help if I had a full crowd, by the way, so you guys have to do your part down there. But think about what this could be. So at, at Virginia Tech, they do Inner Sandman, and it's its whole thing. And I'm not suggesting this would ever get to enter Sandman levels of awesomeness or anything like that. But if you were to take the intro to Rhythm is Gonna Get You by Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine. First off, it's unique to Miami because it is by the Miami Sound Machine and it is by Gloria Estefan, Miami Grab. And if you were to take the intro, it starts out and there is a chanting portion that I think could be echoed by the crowd. And I think this could lead to the team taking the field. And it would wrap in perfectly with pregame atmosphere. Because as you guys know, there are songs that have become synonymous with your team's taking the field. And it doesn't always represent itself like Thunderstruck by ACDC. I think that's what Alabama uses, for example. Um, they do Baba O'Reilly, or you may know it as Teenage Wasteland at Georgia by The Who. And those are old songs. But you know, those those sound like songs you should take the field to. The Chicago Bulls used that song forever by Alan Parsons Project of All Bands, Eye in the Sky. It was one of those dual songs where the first part sounded nothing like the second part, thankfully for the Bulls. And so I think that those make sense. Rhythm is Gonna Get You is not a song that automatically sounds like a stadium anthem, but because of what Miami is and because of what that means in South Florida, I think it could be. So Amy, I've thought about this a lot. And it's one of my other favorite parts of college football. That's why I always encourage you guys go on road trips, go to as many road venues as you can, because pretty much every place has several unique things, unique facets. You never even know what's going on. They do because the home crowd, you know, it's always baked into their game day ritual. But it's not like everyone comes on the loudspeaker and says, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we're going to do the following. No, it's just tradition and you know what to do and when to do it. And if you're on the road, you just kind of sit down and take it all in. I always do it on the field. On the field, I'll turn around and have my back to the field and I'll just watch what's happening in the crowd because a lot of times these things don't overlap with actual gameplay anyway. And it's pretty incredible. One thing I haven't been able to see is at Iowa, when they do the the wave to the hospital, the children's hospital, I haven't been able to see that. And that's a pretty new, that's a pretty new tradition. I was down in Gainesville the first year they started doing Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. That's pretty incredible. Have never been to Madison, Wisconsin for Jump Around. I have obviously not been to Virginia Tech. I've spoken about that many times. I actually have not been to Colorado either. So there is a lot still on the bucket list. I mean, going to Texas A&M, the Aggie War these are things you don't really see on TV a lot because sometimes it's happening during commercial breaks. But if you could ever see it, it's amazing. It's what you remember as much as the game itself. And so I'm just humbly suggesting if we ever get things back on track at Miami, yeah, rhythm is going to get you. Don't be doing this with 17,000 people in the stands. But if you're if you're packing the stadium, I think it would be a pretty incredible sound to have the chant and then have the crowd echo the chant and then smoke and then team comes through tunnel and then you can play whatever song you want to. I'm into it. And that's really all that matters, cause it was it was me that Amy asked. It was not anyone else. Uh, we had a short pod. Look, it was an effort to even get this thing off the ground. I'm using a very 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 questionable mic right now, so I hope that it has sounded good enough. I am physically holding a windscreen with my hand in front of my face. That's hopefully cut down on the popping. And uh, we'll be back to normal Thursday night, late kick live. I'm gonna be back in Nashville, and we have got a lot on deck. It's gonna be a busy month, and then fall camps open in less than a month. So we're here. Well, you know, it's basically fall. It's basically chilly outside. You can pretty much see your breath in front of your face. Let's just be real. We're pretty much at the start line. So welcome back, those of you who are coming back in. Welcome back. We've missed you. You know, there's no off season around here. You don't have to leave, but welcome back. For Bradley, the associate producer, Jesse, director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your day and God bless.